0: Hey, thanks, T. Thanks, T, for popping in tonight. If you were here last week, uh, you would have seen that we actually kicked off into a brand new series. And if you're like, "What's a series? I don't really get you." Uh, essentially, we take one idea and we like to package it over a couple of weeks. And we've just launched this brand new series called Comparison Trap. Right, we're in part two right now, so. You've, if you weren't here last week, you've missed the foundation level, but that's okay. I'm going to catch you up to speed today because last week we had a very good-looking, handsome young gentleman named Josh Cook will actually jump up and launch us into this series. And Josh started us off with this idea, this idea of having an appetite for known, that we all actually have or want to be known by someone and we want to be known by something. And this series is crafted for this appetite for knowing, who people who have it, who want to be known by someone and want to be known for something. And if you're sitting here tonight, sitting in the back of your chair, already saying like, oh, this is kind of irrelevant to me. That's not me. I don't really struggle with that, Riley. At the end of the day, we all want to be known for something. We all have an audience in mind when we wake up in the morning, when we go to school, when we go to uni, when we go to work, we have an audience in mind uh, in light of when we get dressed. We have an audience in mind when we walk our dogs around the neighborhood, uh, and we have an audience in mind when we leave the house. In fact, sometimes this audience, uh, we're so fearful of these people, uh, sometimes we don't even leave the house. You see, whoever it is, whoever these people are in our lives that we hold on such a pedestal, the reality is, is that we all want to be known by someone for some reason. And so before too long, our desire to actually be known, especially when we identify uh, what we want to be known for, gets us caught in this game of endless comparisons. When we evaluate ourselves actually by comparing specific aspects of our own lives to the lives of others. All of a sudden we find ourselves actually uh, evaluating. We begin to measure our value, our success, our worth. And we don't stop there. When we get caught in this game of comparisons, we measure the value, success and worth of others as well. Uh, depending on how they actually measure up to ourselves. And all of a sudden, from simply playing this game of comparisons, we begin to categorize and rank people, including ourselves, depending on how we measure up to others. This game of comparisons is ultimately a trap, because when we compare ourselves to others, we become a rung on this comparison ladder. And if you were here last week, you would have seen uh, Josh has clearly been to Ikea and managed to get through a flat pack. So uh, he's done very well to assemble this. But Josh was here last week in running us through this idea of the comparison ladder. Sometimes in our life, we all want to strive to be the best. But at times when we measure ourselves, when we rank ourselves compared to others, we can find ourselves not being okay. And Because of that, we strive in every way to actually achieve to be Okay. At the same time, inside of us, we all have this desire to actually be better than the person next to us. We go looking over our left and over our right shoulder to actually try and be the best. This comparison ladder and its rung is the reason why we can actually categorize who at school was the most popular. Who was not popular? Who was popular? Who was popular? That's a thing. Who was popular less? Less popular-est. At the same time, uh, we can actually look through our phones, to the screens in itself, and see who is not pretty, who is pretty, who's prettier, and who's the prettiest. At the same time, we can be in the gym working out and look over our left and right shoulder mid-rep to see who is not so fit, who is fit, who is fitter, and who is the fittest. You see, this, this comparison ladder is ultimately a trap that we get caught in because we find ourselves on a rung. We place ourselves in measurement of other People, it's a tricky game and it's a hard thing to escape from because we can turn to our bank accounts, we can turn to our schools, we can turn to where we send our kids to schools, we can turn to our careers, our uni degrees, and we can actually measure who is not so rich, who is rich, who is richer, and who is richest. We can measure who is not so smart, who is smart, who is smarter, and who is smartest, who is not okay, who is okay, who is better, and who is best. You're probably thinking, "Right, this kind of sounds like Dr. Zeus." Well, we're about to unpack it a bit more tonight. That's why last week we actually looked at this idea that there is no win in comparisons. Comparison actually diminishes your capacity to love yourself, but they also diminish your capacity to love others. Because when you compare, you get caught in this game of trying to one-up everyone around you. The need to rank yourself higher or you feel one down from everyone around you. And we can say that this is just something that occurred in primary school, something that just happens in high school. But can we really say that this isn't something that we carry into our workplace, that we carry into uni? Uh, You see this uh, in different environments for us as to where we play the comparison game. And for me, if I was to put it down to a T, if you've ever been on a camp before, in fact, if you've ever been on a camp like the one I went on when I was in grade nine, where I was four weeks away from home, chucked out in the middle of nowhere with 30 boys and 30 girls you definitely want to find a way to be known, to be remembered, to one-up the fellas around you because fellas, there are 30 other girls on this campsite. And I knew going into the camp that I wanted a certain list of adjectives to be known by, and one of them was my musical talent ability. And I know what you're thinking, Riley, you must be pretty musically talented. The answer to that is no, I am not, but I went in with intention. I went in with an instrument into camp to make myself known so people would remember me on this four-week camp and so I'd get a little bit of attention from the ladies. That was just on the side. But I went in with an instrument and my instrument of choice, my weapon of choice was something that you might be familiar with. You might know it is something that a lot of girls look for in a male. It was indeed the harmonica. (laughs) I went in with the harmonica uh, and yes, I did express my musical talent But at the end of camp, if I was to tell myself where I was in terms of my musical talent, I could not say I was the best on camp with musical ability. I could not say I was better than anyone else with my musical ability. I could not even say that I was okay. I was definitely not okay uh, with my musical ability or playing the harmonica. And it became very clear to me that girls are actually more drawn to guys that play guitars. I don't know what the go with that is. Harrison, if you can explain that to me, he was up here earlier playing guitars. I've got no idea. But my mate Aaron, he absolutely pulled in the ladies. There he was, sitting around the campfire every night, the dusk of black butt, the sun coming over the trees. Here he was, serenading multiple girls. Well, at the same time, throughout the whole four weeks, I was stuck in the rain on the same log, playing Piano Man Elton John to myself. (laughs) But here's the thing. You see, when we see ourselves as more than, when we see ourselves as superior to others, we do so to feel this sense of satisfaction. When we see... Ourselves as less than, however. When we see ourselves as inferior, we do it because we're actually searching for this satisfaction, this appetite for known. That whenever comparison actually begins, contentment ends. It's that appetite, that, that craving just to be satisfied by something, to have a little bit of contentment as to why we measure ourselves to others, And it's about as good as us going to the fridge, I don't know if you do this at home, opening your fridge, trying to look for something that can crave your thirst, that can fix your hunger. You open the fridge only to see that there is nothing there but the fridge is full. You shut the fridge, you walk away, but you come back three minutes later. You open it again, looking for something to satisfy your thirst, something to satisfy your hunger, but you shut the fridge. Even though it's full, there's nothing there that you need. It's this endless cycle of opening and shutting, opening and shutting. I know some people say that the average person sits on the toilet for four years. I think I've spent like 40 years just opening and shutting my fridge. It's this endless cycle of trying to search for satisfaction from actually comparing ourselves to other people. This appetite for knowing leads us to feel jealous and envious of those better than you. And as a result, you may actually find yourself secretly hoping that others fail. You're waiting for that person on that platform that you've put up there to actually fall. Inwardly, you're celebrating when someone stuffs up. But a lot of the time, due to our own desire to be known, we can actually find ourselves trying to bank shot our self-esteem off the way the people around us look at us and the way that we behave. So the question I want to wrestle with you today, it's because this is a question that I wrestle with Two is What do you do when you don't actually measure up to the person you want yourself to be? How do we actually deal with this appetite for known? What's the next step? Now, if we're going to explore this in any way today, we kind of need to go to somebody who is pretty well known. Uh, in fact, the person we're going to explore today, if, if you grew up in church, if you did RE in school or Christian studies, if you ever had a chapel in school, if you've picked up a history books before, you might have heard of this guy. Uh, because his name is called John the Baptist, uh, which means if you have heard of old mate John, uh, then you would know that he's pretty well known. Uh, in fact, he must be someone pretty well known in the course of time and in the space of history, because uh, how many of you think you'll be remembered in the next 2,000 years? In the next 200? I see a hand, that's fantastic. <laughs> in the next 20? How many of you can say that you'll be this well known? And his. Here's the deal. I don't want to undermine your ability to be known. I apologize if I stir you up in any way. You may very well walk out of here uh, tonight and, and by tomorrow write your name in the history books by inventing the first flying car or, or even uh, growing the first tree that can, you know, give out Wi-Fi. Or maybe maybe you're the first person to create the crumbless butter knife that doesn't carry the crumbs from the butter container onto the bread and back. If that's you, go for it. That would be... I would really appreciate it. But... Uh, I don't want to undermine your ability to be known. That's what what I'm out for today. But what I would love to do is unpack with you the story of John the Baptist, known for over 2,000 years. Explore the potential we have in actually learning how to handle this idea of known, how to manage this idea of known, and how to put known in a context that serves us well and doesn't take over our lives. So to unpack... Uh, the story of John the Baptist. We're going to be looking at, at two books, one in Mark, one in John, uh, both written by Mark and John, oddly enough. And they're actually found in the New Testament of the Bible. And if you're like, oh, where's the New Testament? It sits on the second or the back end of the Bible. Uh, but Mark actually kicks us off in the story of John the Baptist. And he does so in a pretty mysterious way. In Mark 1 verse 4, if you want to uh, follow along on your phones or anything today, feel free to do so. Well, Mark kicks this off. He said, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, very mysterious. He's fresh off being voted off the island in Survivor. He's appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's baptizing. He, he's been dunking people, not dunking on them, but he's been immersing them underwater, uh, which is actually pretty crazy. You see, before this, in Jewish culture, uh, Jews would actually immerse themselves in water, by themselves in water, and then... Uh, come back up out of the woods actually symbolize the death of their old life and the renewal into their new. Uh, And this was something that was practiced and embraced throughout Judaism. Uh, But for John, John is baptizing other people. So what he was doing was actually huge in the bigger schemes of things. John had invented the crumbless butter knife in this situation. What he was doing was revolutionary. It was against the flow. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Mark goes on. And his next statement's actually pretty, su- uh, pretty huge. Mark says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Everyone was out to see John. And, and this is a big deal because even if it is a literary hyperbole, even if Mark is exaggerating how many people were there, there would have been thousands and thousands of people that had flocked to see John. If you were from Jerusalem, you were trekking like One and a half days to come see John and then one and a half days back. And everyone, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see John. The whole Judean countryside came sussing this John the Baptist guy out. And this is what John went on to say at his Justin Bieber-sized concert. He said, John testified concerning him, and the him he's talking about in this context is actually Jesus. John testified concerning him, Jesus He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, try saying that ten times. It almost sounds like John's trying to spit out a rap here. He's trying to go into his Eminem stage. Uh, But what he's actually saying is the one who is coming after me, Jesus, is greater than me because he actually existed before me. Uh, And you see, Christians actually believe that Jesus uh, was actually God in human form. So when he's talking about this, the one who came before him, God, and the one who surpassed him, God, in human flesh, through Jesus. So everyone's pointing to John, and, and they're saying, listen, John, this is cool, cool, all sounds good. But then they turn to him and they ask him, and they say, then, then who are you? Who are you, John? We kind of, just, kind of just popped out of the bush before. You just popped out of the wilderness. Like, what's your deal? Where are you at? And John walks them through. He tells them who he is not, that he was not the Messiah, that he wasn't a, a prophet, he wasn't a messenger sent by God then who are you? You're not the Messiah. You're not the prophet. This is the big moment for John to actually announce to the world who he is, for him to drop the mic and tell them the name's Baptist, John the Baptist. And this is how he leads on. John replied, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John's pretty straightforward in saying, I am a voice. I'm a sign. I'm merely an arrow to point people to Jesus. Jesus. That's what I'm here for. I'm here. I can see the path that people need to be on. I'm an arrow to point people to this Messiah. You see, people still question him. In fact, the Pharisees come along and Pharisees are these high up religious leaders that are actually known for interrogating Jesus about his teachings and interrogating the disciples as well. And they come up to John with a bit of an agenda and they ask him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah? If you're not the one, then why are you baptizing? Even if you're not a prophet, if you're not a messenger, then why are you baptizing? What gives you the right? And the people question him. But John talks up. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. See, John pretty much is like the pizza guy that stands in the middle of Mango Hill Main Street uh, with the value meal deal sign that says you can get really good prices with garlic bread. John's really trying to sell it to the people. He wants them to be a path. He's a giant arrow and joint John paints a clear picture of who he knows himself to be. I am simply here to draw a crowd so I can point people to the one that is such a big deal that even I am unworthy to touch his sandals. That The one that will come after me, who is greater than me, who existed me, And so the story rolls on, except the the tables start to turn. You see, the next day, John was there again, and the two of his disciples uh, actually walked up to him. When he saw, sorry, John the next day uh, actually saw Jesus passing by, and he said to his disciples, look. He points him out. He tells people to look because that's what he's here for, to point people with undivided attention to this guy, this guy that is so spectacular that not even John, with all his knownness, can touch his shoes. John's giant cardboard arrow is pointing to Jesus, saying, look, the Lamb of God. The reason I'm so well known is to make that guy known. Here's what happened. Because when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Which meant they actually unfollowed John. Have you ever been unfollowed before on insta or, or facebook or just being unfriended by someone in real life what's your reaction to it well that was rude is it that or is it oh, did i do something wrong what have i done wrong do i need to prove in something as soon as john pointed out to jesus who it was and where he was john's followers just went see ya I wouldn't want to be you john and nicked off because this jesus guy You know, John, this Jesus guy, this is the guy you've been talking about. Of course we're going to go to him. We're done with you, John. It's not you, it's me. And in the midst of this discipleship breakup, as we continue to read the text, we find out this doesn't actually bother John as much as it bothered the remaining disciples. See, John's disciples come to him and said rabbi and rabbi in this text actually actually means teacher. It was, a very, uh, it was very much a sign of respect by the disciples. They held him on this platform. Rabbi, that man talking about Jesus, that man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people. The disciples are saying to John, that guy is doing what you invented, John. There's only one job, John the Baptist and he's taken your name. John, what are we going to do Disciples go on. Everyone is going to him instead of us. The Disciples are in meltdown. They are flustered. But if anyone has John's back, it's the boys. You see, the disciples kind of rally together. They're saying, they're thinking by this point, you know, John, we'll get you more... Followers, it's okay. We'll work through this. We'll rise above. Let's start doing like shout out for shout outs on Insta, or or maybe we can offer like a double dunk uh, baptism for couples. Or like, John, you've got four limbs, like two hands, two feet. Maybe you can just do like four times the speed in your baptisms, or you can do baptisms and like throw in a free toaster. Or John, you know what? You're very marketable with your whole wilderness, uh, bear grills type thing. Like, let's just get you on The Bachelor. Let's get you on The Bachelor and just market you that way. And that way you'll be a little bit known. The disciples come in with all these ideas and they're saying, John, Rabbi, teacher, we will get you popular again. We will get you your platform back. John, we will get you your followers back. And that's the disciples' reaction. But to this, John replied. Now, there's a dot 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 for a reason. We're just going to pause it for a second because how John responds is actually so big. It's so big. And if you're not a Christian, you can feel free to, to zone out here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to bring you in just for a moment because John replies. Uh, the very thing that John actually replies with will help you break the comparison cycle. And if I didn't have such you know, pale skin, I, I'd be getting this tattooed on my body. I probably wouldn't. My skin's really sensitive. But this is, this is a doozy. If you're a follower of Jesus, tap in just for a second. Get ready to write down John's response on your phone or something because this next statement will prepare you if you are ever in a position where you have an infinite set of followers, an infinite set of fans or friends and it will never go to your head. And if you're like, well, Riley, straight off the bat, that is not me. That's not me, I'm gonna slide back into my chair now. The next statement will actually prepare you for times when you feel like you have fewer friends, when you feel like you have fewer followers, when you feel like you have fewer uh, fans around you. In fact, when you find yourself in times where you actually measure, rank, and compare yourself to others because of their success, their wealth, and their talent, this statement will prepare you for the day or the days when you don't actually even feel nearly good enough to walk outside your house. See, when we question the whole direction of our life, the degree we are studying, how much money we are making, the school we're sending our children to, this next statement is huge. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are able to grasp what John says here and not let it slip through your fingers. You can actually prepare and release yourselves from this comparison trap. You see, the disciples, they freak out. And to this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. John is saying, all this knownness I have, everything good comes from God, everything that is placed in my hands is temporary. It's stewardship. It's a gift. And I will not make it for a moment about me because it was never in my control in the first place. And I get it? We, and by we I mean me, all want to be friended. We all want to be followed. We all want to be linked. We all want to be mentioned. We want to be recognized, admired, sought after, and even envied. We hunger for approval. We want applause. We want to be known. But what do you do when there is no amount of known that will actually satisfy your appetite? This is what John says. To survive your appetite for known. Remember who it's from. And remember who it is for. Who has placed this knownness in my hand. Who has given me the opportunity to enjoy life with gifts and abilities that are unique to you. Who is in control of you being born into your family, living in this country. Who gave me the ability to sing, to dance, to laugh. Who gave me the ability to relate, to understand others, to listen, to smell and hear. Who made me beautiful. Who gave me my personality. Who placed parents, grandparents and children that are also my best friends in my life. You see, you have no control over any of that. This is what John points out. The desire to be known does not actually own me. John's only desire was to make him known. That in light of remembering who it's from and who it's for, he must become greater and I must become less. See, the desire to be known is overpowering. It causes us so much anxiety, so much stress. Comparison causes us to feel so insecure within ourselves. Measuring ourselves to others can lead us to avoid others. It can internally cause us so much fear around just the thought that someone has something that you don't have, something that you feel you not just uh, want, but the need to actually take more control over your life. So what would it look like to actually let go of that control? See, there's no point in trying to hang on to what you never had control over in the first place. Every moment you spend comparing yourself is a minute you spend subtly accusing God of shortchanging you. Comparison drops you at the end of discontentment every single time. Whether you are out on top and, and feel guilty or don't measure up and feel shortchanged, comparison always leaves you dissatisfied. It always leaves you asking for more. There's a secret to overcoming John points to it. It's gratitude. The shortcut to contentment is thanking God. And it works no matter which side of comparison you're on. You're asking how? Well, it's an instant perspective adjustment. When comparison makes you feel shortchanged, gratitude can shift your focus to all the blessings you do have. And when you have been blessed with a lot, thanking God puts you in the humble posture needed to use those gifts well. Comparison is out. Take your contentment. Comparison is the biggest thief of joy. But the habit of expressing gratitude is an easy way out of the trap. And to help us tonight actually take a first step in exercising gratitude and actually getting out of this comparison trap, I wanted to give you a little bit of an application point. In fact, here at Beyond, we do this thing called For Monday, where we believe that there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you, if it's not going to impact you for Monday. So this week's full Monday is this, and it's a bit of a funky one too. All I want you to do, we're going back to primary school here, all I want you to do is fill in the blank this week and in exercising gratitude with this statement. Today, I am thankful for. Today, I am thankful for. What would it look like just to respond and fill in the blank to this statement for just one day this week? What would it look like to do it for just three days? Or in fact, if you really want to be challenged, what would it look like to actually answer to this statement over the next week, every seven days, just put a small investment of your time in to fill in the blank and actually exercise gratitude. And you'll see the one up on the screen's pretty pretty funky looking. Our social team actually do an amazing job here at Beyond. They got together, put their minds together, and came up with some awesome layouts. And these bad boys are actually going to be up on Instagram tonight for you to screenshot on your phone, so you can use them as wallpapers and a reminder throughout your week Look at the colours. There's even a banger one at the end. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, there's a fan favourite right after this rose one. If you're a Beyonder, there's there's a succulent wallpaper, so get on that. But what would it look like for you this week? Just to respond, give yourself just a small amount of time in your day. Actually fill in the blank on this statement. Maybe that might mean that you need to take some time looking at your phone and thinking about it. Maybe that time might be three minutes. Maybe it might be 15 minutes just jotting it down in your notebook. See, perhaps your, your response to all this and, and even with the full Monday up on the stream is, well, Riley, that's, that's nice, but that's not how I actually feel about my life. Am I supposed to thank uh, God even if I don't mean it? And the short answer to it is, well, yes. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be insincere. Did you actually choose, though, to be born? Did you actually choose to have the opportunity to experience life? See, even if you don't believe in God, Chances of you simply being born into this world is one in 400 trillion. And in the biology of the world that we live in, that makes you a living miracle. That makes the person next to you a living miracle. And living miracles, they, they don't have time to waste on looking over their shoulders. They don't have time to waste in measuring themselves up to others and not finding their value and not finding their worth. So you've got all the reason in the world to actually be thankful. And you're someone, and if you are someone, that does believe in God, you have even more reason to be thankful. Because at the end of the day, nothing we have is from us. But rather, a gift from heaven. This is something that's hit me even hard this week. Knowing that I can actually place my value and worth in someone that knows me greater than me. And actually grounds me in knowing that my worth is not found in my role At work, my worth and value is not found in my study, my academics, my sport. My worth is not found in how others see me or how I even see myself. My worth and value is not found in something greater than that. And because of that, I don't need to be disappointed in myself. I don't need to beat myself up. I don't need to have complete control over every aspect of the present and the future. And I don't need to be fearful of not becoming known. See, if God is real... You don't need to be a person who lives within the insecurities of their own private world, but instead actually live a life that was intended, not one that is pretend. You can seek out the opportunity to actually be who you were made to be. And at the bottom of, of John's statement is that you are a gift from heaven to the world, to your colleagues, to your friends, and to your family. You are a gift. To the world, not out of your own effort, not out of your own achievement, your successes, your talent, your wealth, your popularity, or even your, your appearance. You are utterly unique because that is exactly the way your Heavenly Father intended you to be. So what would it look like to live a life where you are never tempted by the desire to take control? To be caught up in the insecurity and anxiety of playing the comparison game? Of trying to measure yourself on this comparison ladder, but rather find yourself being the best you every day. You can wake up, you can outwork them, you can outstudy them, you can give 110% and then at the end of the day, you can come home and take a breath and find complete rest in knowing that your value and worth is weighed in the eyes of someone who knows you far greater than you. I'd love to invite the band up during this time, but as we wrap up, you have an opportunity this week, you don't have to wait until you feel like thanking God. You can thank God until you feel like it. It's much easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking than to actually think your way into a new way of behaving. So how could being thankful, how could exercising gratitude just over the next seven days actually change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you see yourself, and the way you see others? I'd love to pray for you. Um, Then we're actually going to kick back over to the band for a little bit chris will walk you through what's happening next god i just thank you for the people in this room lord we know on a sunday night it's easy just to take one thing in but lord we just pray that as we step into the rest of our week we can actually overcome this comparison trap that we find ourselves in that lord at times when we feel this need to take control over every aspect of our life to either try and be better than the person next to us on our left or be the best so we no longer have to compete with the person on our right God, this week we can actually step into being thankful for the things that you've given us and know we don't have control over all. Of it. But we pray that we can step into who you've called us to be a gift to the world from heaven.